Um, most of you know, I'm a pretty big sports fan. You guys, I know a lot of you are too. And this has been like a uh, sports time um, uh, desert. There, there's nothing going on. I, my usual routine is to get up and turn on ESPN and kind of listen to sports for a while while I'm having breakfast or something like that. All anybody's talking about is the draft. Um, that's the only thing that's on the horizon. But it's a little bit interesting, kind of living here in Tampa Bay. You know, the big news that Tom Brady is coming to Tampa Bay, and that's going to be exciting. I'm getting excited about uh, the Bucks already. I hope they get to play on time. But when everybody's talking about Tom Brady, what's the one thing that everybody associates with Tom Brady? But you always hear about Tom Brady, the goat. He's the goat. He is the greatest of all time. And maybe that's arguable. I don't know. But everybody loves to talk about the greatest of all time. And I've noticed, too, listening to sports call-in shows on the radio, there's not much to talk about. So anytime they need something to talk about, the host will bring up, well, who's the greatest whatever of all time? And the phones light up with people's opinion of the greatest of all time. So I thought I want to start my uh, Wednesday uh, discussion tonight talking about some of the greatest of all time. And I'm going to tell you up front, I Googled these. None of these answers are my own. They are all right off of a Google page. What I what I thought was a pretty um, uh, pretty uh, reputable page. You know, I didn't I didn't scroll down three pages. I picked like the first one or two. So let me share with you a couple of the greatest of all time. Some of them are sports, but a lot aren't. Again, they're not my choices. I don't care if you agree or not. I'm just uh, I'm just I'm just getting us ready here. Um, Tom Brady talking about the greatest of all time quarterback. Yet the greatest of all time football player, according to Google, according to, I think it was Bleacher Report. Actually, I'll, I'll give you a little, I'll give you a second to kind of guess or tell your spouse, because that's what I'd be doing. Tell your, you know, whoever's in your family or just yell out loud, even if you're by yourself. And then I'll give you just a second to argue with whoever you're with about the answer. But the greatest football player of all time, number one, Jerry Rice. I would not have picked Jerry Rice. I'm not sure he would have been in my top five, but then I don't know too much about football, really. Greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, number two. Wasn't even LeBron, number two. So uh, Jordan, greatest baseball player of all time. Again, these aren't my choices, but greatest baseball player of all time. Babe Ruth, greatest soccer player of all time. Turns out nobody cares. So, <laughs> no, actually, everybody in America doesn't care. Everybody else in the world cares. Lionel Messi. I can't instantiate that. I don't have an opinion on that. But apparently, Lionel Messi is the greatest soccer player of all time. Greatest movie of all time. Everybody has an opinion on this. According to, I think it was, uh, um, I think it was AFI, maybe. Um, greatest movie of all time, The Godfather. Hmm. Greatest movie quote of all time. I bet you might be able to guess this one. Frankly, my dear, 
last phrase in uh, Gone with the Wind. Greatest song of all time. Uh, across all genres. The greatest song of all time. This one surprised me, even though I'm a pretty big fan of the artist. Greatest song of all time. Like a rolling stone. Bob Dylan. How does it feel to be on your own? See, if, you, if I was in a crowd right now, I would not be doing that. But Bob Dylan, Rolling Stone, greatest song. Greatest TV show of all time, according to readers. No, uh, TV Digest or some TV something. Greatest TV show of all time, Seinfeld. Never a big Seinfeld fan. Um, greatest television commercial of all time. You're going to have to go back a little ways for this one. You're going to show your age if you remember this. 1984, Wendy's. Where's the beef? Little old lady shouting at the drive-thru window. Where's the beef? Greatest commercial of all time. Uh, greatest president of all time. And you can un insert your own joke right here. I'm not going to say anything political. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put in a joke or a comment, anything. Just greatest president, according to Google. According to some site that's supposed to be uh, put a lot of thought into it, the great emancipator, Abraham Lincoln. Greatest book of all time, Anna Karenina, Anna Karenina, Tolstoy, never read it. I don't know if it's the greatest or not. Doesn't sound like a book that I would like. Uh, greatest painting of all time. I actually guessed this one before I looked it up. Which shouldn't be too surprising. I can only name three paintings uh, that I know the names of them. Um, and this one was number one, the Mona Lisa, greatest painting of all time. Two other more, two more. Um, I try to get a little bit more obscure. Greatest travel destination. This is from Forbes magazine. The greatest place to travel. They claim number one, Bali, Indonesia. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Bali. Uh, you, can, you can confirm that, I guess. Number two on the list was New Orleans, Louisiana. So I'm not giving a lot of credit to this list. And then greatest place in Florida to go for a weekend. It wasn't Mango. Wasn't even Plant City. Okay, apparently, according to somebody that knows what they're talking about, the greatest place in Florida to go for a weekend is Key West. Yeah. So those are some of the greatest ever. And I do that to kind of set up my thought for tonight. I want you to think about what is the greatest question ever asked? Greatest question ever asked. I actually Googled that. Put in greatest question ever asked. And there was no clear consensus, by the way. Some of the questions, I didn't even really understand the question, let alone the, the answer that was given. But what did come up over and over again was, what is the meaning of life? The greatest question ever asked, according to a lot of people, is what is the meaning of life? That's not the greatest question to me. But tonight, I want to take a look at a story that Jesus uh, has a conversation, uh, a true story. This is a real story. It's not a parable tonight. I want to take a look at a conversation that Jesus has with somebody in John chapter 5. And um, he's going to ask him a question. And I'm going to tell you up front the question that Jesus asked. In fact, really, this whole this whole inter interaction, this this whole miracle that takes place, it uh, it doesn't really fit 
into most of Jesus's miracles. It's, there's, there's some differences about this. Um, it's hard to categorize this miracle. Um, a lot of things that happen with the miracle that, uh, that have a lot of similarities, but there's some differences in this miracle as well. But Jesus is going to ask a question. In fact, he's going to ask a question that on the surface looks like a very insensitive question. In fact, I think if Jesus asked this question today and somebody caught him on a cell phone video asking this person this question, I got a feeling it would go viral in a bad way. I think a lot of people would come down hard on Jesus for asking the question that he asks uh, in John chapter 5. But it was a question that demands an answer. Absolutely demanded an answer. So let's go ahead, take a look at the passage. We'll make a couple stops and starts. And again, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here together tonight. And I really have one or two thoughts that I want to share with you. There's all kinds of stuff that we can pull out of this passage because it's it's a pretty amazing story. But I just want to maybe get you to think about a, uh, a concept or two. John chapter 5. We're going to read the first nine or ten verses. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there's in in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. That's the New Living Translation, by the way. Um... If you're reading along with me in an older translation, you'll notice that I skipped over verse 4. The newer translations don't include verse 4 of John chapter 5. Verse 4 says basically from time to time an angel would come and trouble the water and the first one into the pool was healed. Um, There's a lot of conversation about why why or why not that verse ought to be in uh, Scripture. And we we could talk about that at another time. I don't really want to talk about it tonight. But apparently, from time to time, something happened, and apparently there was this place, this pool, where people thought there was a chance to be healed. Whether it was real or not, whether it happened, that's where everybody was that, uh, that needed to, uh, felt like they needed to be healed. Um, Jesus is about to speak to a man that has been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years is a long time. And there's a couple of things that are a little bit interesting about Jesus's conversation. First, uh, Jesus doesn't offer any condolences to this guy. He doesn't come up to him and say, wow, I really, uh, I feel so sorry for your condition. He doesn't offer any condolences whatsoever. He doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't say, I'm Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. How can I help you? He doesn't introduce himself. In fact, he gives no indication whatsoever that he might possibly have something that this man needs. He doesn't say anything about, you know, there's a chance that the right guy's standing in front of you. He doesn't say anything about faith. He doesn't say anything about belief. He asks a question. And like I said, it it seems like kind of an insensitive question. Verse 6, I'm in uh, John chapter 5, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. So Jesus sees this man. He's lying here. 
he realizes, he finds out, someone tells him apparently that this man has been in this condition for 38 years. He asked him, do you want to get well? That's Jesus' question. He comes up to a man who's been lying here for 38, or he's been an invalid for 38 years. I don't know how long he's been at the pool. But he asks him point blank, do you want to get well? And again, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that if I asked someone who was handicapped, hey, do you want to get well? I'm not sure what kind of response I would get. I don't think I could see myself asking someone that question. But Jesus asked this question. There's no ambiguity here. I mean, there's, there's no hidden um, a meaning behind the question. It's just a yes or no question. Do you want to get well? Very direct, very pointed. The guy's going to answer him. John chapter 5, verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He doesn't exactly answer Jesus' question. And I guess you could say, well, he makes you an excuse, but I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. He's been in a really tough situation for a long, long time. And then this stranger walks up and says, hey, you want to get well? And his response is, I can't get to the water fast enough. Someone always beats me to the water. Jesus said to him in verse 8, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. That's a pretty amazing miracle, isn't it? Get up. You want to get well? Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Now, I said that this didn't really fit into some of the other categories of miracles that Jesus performed. Can you think of anything that's different about this miracle and other miracles that Jesus performed? It's very unique miracle. All miracles are unique, right? I guess that's the definition of a miracle. But there's a few things that are unique about this miracle that are a little bit different uh, in this miracle and and the way uh, uh, it plays out. Kind of doesn't fit into most of Jesus's miraculous healing category. Think a couple things. One, This man never asked to be healed. He doesn't ask Jesus, would you heal me? He doesn't have anybody that brings him to Jesus to be healed. He doesn't have four friends that carry him up on top of a roof. He doesn't sit by a road and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, he doesn't have someone who sins for Jesus saying, you know, the one you love is sick. He's just sitting by this pool. He doesn't ask to be healed. He doesn't um, uh, give you an indication that he thinks Jesus might be able to heal him. Um, This man makes no initiative in regards to the the interaction with Jesus. He's just sitting there. Jesus takes all the initiative here. Jesus does all the work here. Jesus approaches this guy. He starts a conversation, and then he heals him, which... Sort of blows the theology that you've got to seek God's help for God to help you. No, God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. Not only is it not in the Bible, it's not exactly biblical. Because here's Jesus helping someone 
who first can help himself. And second, he's not even seeking Jesus. You know, we quote the, the passage pretty often, uh, rightfully so. You'll find him when you seek him with all your heart uh, in Jeremiah. And that's a great passage, and that's true. And yet here's somebody who's actually finding Jesus, and it doesn't appear that he was seeking him with all his heart. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. You, you could argue that there's a lot of people who are in the same situation as this guy is sitting around this pool. Why does Jesus choose this guy? Maybe Jesus knew his heart better than the narrative explains himself. Be a strange situation, not just for this man, but for these other people who are looking to be healed as well. You know, I read about this this healing, and personally, I'm really thankful that there are times even when I'm not looking for God, he's looking for me. And even when I'm not really pursuing God, he's pursuing me. There are times when um, and I'm not even asking things of God. He's still giving them to me. And to me, that's comforting. And to me, that's reassuring. Uh, let me reference Isaiah chapter 65, by the way. Isaiah 65, verse 1, to sort of uh, back this up. God says this, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I. Here am I. Isaiah 65, 1. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Let me share with you just one or two kind of big takeaways uh, from this interaction that this guy has with Jesus. And, uh, and then you can, you can think about it on your own. Uh, Jesus is teaching on a much deeper level than what we just read here. You know, everything that Jesus does is done for a reason. He healed this man for sure to help the man, absolutely. Uh, and for sure to confirm his authority and his power. But also, and again, I say this all the time, but I'm so convinced of this. The Holy Spirit wants us thinking about this miracle tonight. And the Holy Spirit wants us talking about this miracle with our families and um, you know, kind of thinking it over as the night goes on. And so there's some really important teaching going on here. One of the things that I sort of took away from this, think about this man's normal. For 38 years, he lived in, in his own normal. It wouldn't have been normal for me. It wouldn't have been normal for you, but it was his normal. It was his life as he'd always known it, an invalid, um, handicapped. That was his normal. And he seemed to resign himself to the fact that that was his normal. In fact, when Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? His response was, I can't. I can't get there. It happens for other people. It's not going to happen to me. You know, in the middle of this uh, virus that we're all so anxious about, we're all living in a not normal normal right now, aren't we? We're calling to kind of all think about when's things going to get back to normal. And you've seen all those posts and those memes about, I hope it never goes back to normal. I hope the new normal is thinking and, and caring about each other and all those things. But the truth is we're still thinking about this isn't normal. When am I going to get back to normal? 
When am I going to be able to go out and do things? When am I going to be? When are we going to be able to get together as a church family again? When am I going to be able to see smiling faces? When am I going to be able to go to dinner? When am I going to be able to go to a movie? When is my life going to get normal? I think maybe this man in John chapter 5 got so used to his normal that he didn't really think that he could ever experience a different normal. I think he just resigned himself to the fact that this is my normal. This is my life. This is my reality. And I think sometimes when we get in a a rut, in in some kind of a... um, you know, a routine, and we just kind of keep doing the same thing over and over again, and we start kind of thinking of it as normal. And we start thinking of, um, this is as good as it's going to be. This is all I can expect. And things that are really and truly substandard, we start to think of it as being standard. Um, Things that really aren't really good enough, we start to consider it as good enough. We stop thinking about really living life any other way. In fact, the thought of living life some other way gets a little bit scary to us. You know, it's it's easier just to keep doing the same thing than it is to change or that it is to uh, imagine some new way. We get used to doing what we do, even if intellectually we understand this isn't very fulfilling. And this isn't very much fun. But this is just how my life is. Well, this is it. Jesus' question to this man really could have been, do you imagine your life being any better than it is right now? Now, that's not what he asked him, but it could have been. He could have asked him, do you imagine your life being any better than it is right now? And I think that's a, a, a question worth asking ourselves. Do I even consider my life possibly being better than it is right now? Let me share with you just a couple more thoughts some things to think about. This man was sitting by this pool. Why was he by the pool? Because apparently something happened every so often that people believed they were going to be healed if they could get in on it. So he believed that he was in a place of transformation. And he believed that he was in a place of healing And yet it appears that he had no intention of ever being transformed. And he had no intention of ever being healed. And I wonder if maybe uh, you're a little bit like me. Because I think about that in my own life. I think, you know, I get around places and environments. I get with my church family. In fact, I'm a preacher. And I talk a lot about transformation, and I talk a lot about healing, but sometimes I don't really expect tomorrow to be much different than today. And I don't really expect my problems to be much different tomorrow than they are today, even though I'm in a place of healing, and I'm in a place of transformation. I think sometimes we don't really expect to be healed. We don't really expect to be transformed. Now, we can give off the impression that we want to be healed. And we can give off the impression that we want to be transformed. And we can talk all about it. 
And yet we live a life of resignation. And I think way too often, I think all of us, we settle. We settle for so much less than what Jesus wants us to have. Because it's our normal. And we can think about this far past our normal. We can think about this far about, well, it could be a little better, I guess. I think sometimes we want to be satisfied more than we want to be cured. Now, Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? And the question I think maybe that we ask ourselves or need to ask ourselves is uh, not so much can God change me. I think that question was answered a long time ago. Uh, I think we all would agree, yeah, God can change me. I think the real question is, do I want God to change me? Is life perfect? No, but it's pretty comfortable. You know, it's what I'm used to. It's my normal. Do I really want to be changed? Do I really want to be transformed? Maybe the question has more to do with my will than it does God's will for me. Now, where's my heart in all this? I think we get confused on what we need. This guy thought he needed the water. This guy thought he needed someone to help him into the water. Jesus comes to him and impresses upon him the fact you don't need the water. You don't need someone else helping you. In fact, what you need is standing right here in front of you. What you need is Jesus. You know, in all this um, pandemic chaos, you hear about all the things that people are struggling with, and it's real, and it's uh, heartbreaking, and it is incredibly scary. Um, <clears throat> but I'm really convinced we need to be talking more about Jesus than anything else. Jesus is what we need. I don't want to be guilty of getting so sidetracked on the events of the world that I forget about and neglect to be setting my mind on things above, be fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to preach that sermon here in a couple of weeks, by the way, the author and perfecter of my faith. Now, Jesus is still coming up to us and saying, hey, do you want to get better? Do you want to be healed? I'll share this with you. Um, we get a lot of stuff mailed to us at the office. I get a lot of stuff mailed to me. I'm on a bunch of mailing lists, about half of them. I have no idea how I got on those lists. But there's a little booklet uh, that comes once a month, I think. And um, to be quite honest, I don't think too highly of this booklet, but it shows up once a month in my mailbox. And the title to the booklet, uh, this about two or three months ago, was um, How the Church Can Fix Itself. And like seven or eight articles in this little book about how the church can fix itself, how to fix the church. And I thought, okay, you've got my attention. Now I'm going to look, I'm going to open it up. And I opened it up and I started looking through, kind of reading through the articles. Not one time was Jesus mentioned. Not one single article talked about Jesus. I mean, here's a whole little booklet. This month's theme is how to fix the church how the church can, can be more effective. And not one of those writers mentioned Jesus at all. 
And then I don't mean to be judgmental. It sure sounds like it, doesn't it? Um, and I'm sure they made some great points that uh, needed to be made. But shouldn't it be kind of start with Jesus? Shouldn't we be focusing on Jesus now more than ever? I'm going to wrap up with a quote that I heard. I heard it when I was in Tallahassee. It was um, attributed to Jimbo Fisher while he was um, coaching the Seminoles there. And I don't know if he said it first or not, but it's a great saying. Um, the saying is, you don't have to be sick to get better. And he was talking about his football team. He was trying to say, you know, we've got a lot of talent here, but we're going to get better. You don't have to be sick to be better. I think that's a great uh, saying with the spiritual application. You don't have to be sick to get better. You know, uh, we're a group of people who are, uh, you know, we're in love with Jesus. We love the Lord. We love our neighbors. We we care about the lost. And, and I keep telling you, um, I'm so happy to be a part of the Bay Area family. But we can get better. You know, we can be better. And we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, do you want to get well? Look to Jesus. Do you want to stay exactly like you are? Do you want to, not just a new normal, a better normal? Jesus is the answer. John 5 tells us that. Hey, let me wrap up with a prayer. And then I want to make just a kind of announcement and an update or two. And uh, we'll be finished. Father, I, I thank you for all the ways that you teach us and all the ways that you show us just how much you care for us and how much you're pursuing us. Even when we're not paying attention, that you know what we need and you offer healing and you offer transformation. And Father, I pray for the faith to step out and admit that, um, that I need Jesus and that nothing else in this world will fill that hole that only he can fill. And thank you for the gift that was been given. And Father, as we continue to live through this historic time, I I pray that you'd continue to be with those who are fighting this virus. I pray that you'd be continue to be with those who are looking for a cure. Um, I pray that you continue to protect us and, and heal us. And especially, Father, um, heal our hearts. Help us turn to Jesus in, in this time especially. It's in his name that I pray.